Most automotive OEMs have a net zero goal by some year. But the sheer fact is with existing cathode manufacturing techniques, you're 100% not going to get there. (laughs) (laughs) Greetings, Earthlings, and welcome back to our podcast, the show where we chant the mantra, there has to be a better way. Today on the show, we're going to examine how one of the three main components of lithium-ion batteries is made in a way that's expensive, energy-intensive, and uses a lot of water. But our guest will tell you it does not have to be that way. But before we get into how to future-proof EV batteries, the requisite podcast logistics. I'm your host, Lisa Ann Pinkerton. I support mobility startups with my PR firm, Technica Communications, and I support all genders in this space with women in clean tech and sustainability. Thank you to Resource Labs for having us on the network and to all of you Earthlings who found us there. If you appreciate us as much as we appreciate you, please take a moment and go to your podcast app and drop us a review. Every star helps. You can also cover some of the costs of our podcast by becoming a Patreon member. Please click on the show notes to find a link to our Patreon page. All right, so we all know the EV revolution is coming. And depending on where you live, you might be seeing these changes in the streets. That's why in episode two of our first season, we argued your next car will be an EV. A bold prediction, I know, but we're not the only people who think that way. Fast forward to season three and Bloomberg NEF expects the EV market to grow to $8.8 trillion by 2030, just in seven years, people. And between then and 2050, they expect passenger EVs to make up the bulk of sales. Now, to put that into perspective, babies born this year will be in second grade when EV passenger sales are expected to be ballooning. And considering that batteries play a big role in the cost of EVs, it makes sense that we need to bring those costs down. Cathodes are the component I alluded to at the beginning of the show that makes up 60% of the cost of an EV battery, generally speaking. And that's why our guest is working at the nexus of EV battery materials and advanced manufacturing to influence how this aspect of the battery is manufactured. Her name is Virginia Klausmeyer, and she's the CEO and founder of Silvatex. I would say electric revolution is definitely well on its way. The way that uh, we think about the world is more around the energy, you know, the energy foundation is changing And the structures to change that foundation are being rebuilt and they need to be rebuilt so that they withstand for centuries to come, right? So that is why we consider future proofing so that you can build the future of the clean energy revolution for generations to come. And so what's wrong with batteries right now that makes them uh, not prepared for the future? So I think the uh, high level, the Battery sector has done a lot of development and over the last, you know, decades has come down to specific material sciences that work to perform the way that humans need them to. Then now the next biggest stage we have as sort of, I'd say, 
the industry is to scale those materials in a way that is appropriate for the volumes that's needed and to also bring the price points down. So those are, you know, we look at what the problem is, is the two issues are how to scale in a cost-effective carbon neutral way. It makes sense that we would start this uh, electric vehicle revolution based on battery technology that existed previously. Like you think about um, Tesla famously using laptop batteries and chaining them together uh, for, for their vehicle simply because that's the technology that was available at the time. And, and, and they weren't really thinking about scaling up to massive numbers. They were just focused on, let's just, let's just start somewhere, right? So now that we've, like the EV revolution's established, it's happening, um, more EVs are selling all the time. I appreciate your perspective that now we get a chance to think about how do we want to scale these technologies and how can we do it thoughtfully? Because if we're just basing it on, uh, on it, what I would consider, uh, the sort of the uh, incumbent technology, that's not sustainable. It wasn't, you know, incumbent solutions weren't designed that way, right? A lot of the batteries were, you know, how do we get it good enough to work in the iPhone? And it has been the same type of lithium ion battery, you know, background, but they're changing the cell designs, right? So now you have these huge battery cell manufacturing plants that have designed the cells to be more compatible for electric vehicles and energy storage applications. But the part of it that's really interesting is that the next step is down the supply chain on actually looking at all the components that go into the battery, right? So what are the cathode, the anode, how do we scale those in a way that is appropriate for the market and where it's going and where it is, you know, today. Yeah, that's, and that, that leads into my next question, which is your company, Silvatex, I find fascinating because the IP uh, at the foundation of the company can be used in a variety of different ways. And you've chosen to focus on the electric vehicle market, specifically batteries and cathodes. Can you explain to us what is the work that you're doing with your IP to help future-proof batteries in the future. Completely. As an earthling, as an earthling, um, you know, the whole goal is to ultimately curb carbon emissions of humans to mitigate climate change, right? So when you're looking at the battery pack uh, and you have the plus side and the negative side of the battery pack and the electrolyte that goes between, those are the, those are the main components. The plus side, the cathode, makes up 60% of the carbon life cycle of the battery and thus the vehicle or, you know, the energy storage module. So it's a very energy intensive carbon sink. It's also 60% of the cost of a battery. So, you know, the cathode material makes up a disproportionate amount of the cost and the carbon life cycle. Uh, our thesis and our focus on the cathode was making those materials in the most uh, effective way possible on a cost and a carbon side and a scale side so that it can help to reduce the bottlenecks in the supply chain, but also, um, of course, driving the market on a price point and having it be the best in class solution for the ultimate goal of reducing car carbon emissions and climate change. 
And thank you. And there's some water savings as well, right? Oh, huge amounts. I mean, right now, water is cheap, right? So I think this is one of the things that I, uh, and we know it's getting more scarce, right? So if you think about future proofing, or if you think about really, I mean, the impacts of what we're rebuilding today in the energy revolution is uh, how do we see the world operating in 2050? And to operate in that world, you have to have processes that require really no water, no energy, even though it might be cheap today, it's not going to be, and they're not going to be readily available and that you can't have waste. Uh, you can't have, you know, you need to have recycle loops, etc. So our, our process took all of that in together and made it into our solution for that market. Okay. So what is your process specifically? What are you doing uh, to support the, uh, a, a more, what I would think of as like a more sustainable or lower carbon cathode? So current solutions for making the cathode material that goes into the battery cell are, um, it's called co-precipitation, but it's a multi-step process that uses a lot of energy. It's very water intensive. Um, it's also very expensive. So to build out, uh, you know, uh, one of these uh, manufacturing facilities takes about half a billion dollars. So it's it's extremely expensive and they're not flexible across chemistries and inputs. So one of the things that we do know is that the markets are going to, as every industry does, as it starts to get commoditized, is that you need to expand the range of input materials. So coming from recycled materials or different, you know, different mines globally um, that could be input and also have a broader range of output materials. So the way that we thought about our process um, and how we designed our process was to exactly future proof it. So sort of three things need to be true. One, you have to have a process that is the most energy efficient uses no water, has no waste. Two, you have to have something, a process that has a broader range of inputs, as broad as can be, <laughs> is the best way to capitalize off of commodity markets, right? Um, so broader range of inputs, um, which is how we operate. We have a single step process that is a dry process, so it uses no water, and it has a lot more optionality. And then on the output side, we can pretty much produce any chemistry, um, but we're targeting on the majority of what's in the market and what's going to be in the market for the next decade to come right now. Mm -hmm. So, so how does, how does your process get implemented, uh, with battery manufacturer OEM? Uh, how do you physically, how do you work with them or how does this process then become reality in a battery? We'll just say, um, in the U S there's, you know, what, 20 new battery cell manufacturers, but to date, there'd only been Panasonic, right? So let's just go with the example of Panasonic with Tesla because <laughs> the OG, you know, paved the way. So the, um, you know, Panasonic, they purchase a large amount of cathode material that goes into their battery pack. So they don't make it. Um, they purchase it. They have a number, a couple different vendors they go through to maintain the supply. So if you think about all the cell manufacturers, they're doing the same thing, but the added added element is that 
the actual automotive OEMs, they have mandates of needing to actually have a certain amount of those components being made in the U.S. or wherever they are domestically, right? So this is, I'm only giving the U.S. as an, a working example. Um, so the the actual, you know, the U.S. and North America really didn't have any cathode manufacturing. 98% of cathode manufacturing has been done in Asia, primarily in China. So you're starting to see little bits of that, you know, oh, Ira is a huge instigator, little bits that come to the U.S. and come within North America to build out these supply chains to produce cathode material that then drops into the cell uh, at the cell level. And then, of course, that cell provides the battery cells to an electric vehicle OEM. Okay. And what does the cathode material look like? Is it uh, in powder form or, or if I was to hold it in my hand, what would it look like? Boom. You see this? Yeah. So for those of you who cannot see it, yeah, it's just black uh, powder material. Uh huh. This is how you, you move it around. This is what you produce. This is cathode powder, cathode active material powder. And then that gets supplied and then they turn it into a little slurry and it goes onto the the cells that you see more, I'd say, uh, readily on those on those videos, the promotion videos. <laughs> and so, would you work with uh, existing uh, cathode material manufacturers, or do you, are you thinking you'll manufacture your material yourself? Ooh, good question. That's like the billion dollar question. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I mean, uh, today we are pretty bullish on doing early scale production ourselves, uh, and then you know it's kind of like all market and, you know, all good early stage companies, once you prove it, then everyone wants it, right? So you take on the majority of the risk um, and you get to capitalize the, the most off the benefit. So we're definitely pretty bullish on that um, in the short term. And uh, so we're going to be producing cathode material at small, small scale. And then the sky is kind of the limit after we can build repeat on how we commercialize through joint venture, partnership, licensing opportunities, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And would, would the work that you're doing to make a more sustainable cathode active material then support these ultimately these um, uh, automotive OEMs in their uh, ESG mandates and reporting? Completely. I mean, every, uh, auto well, sorry, I won't say every, most Automotive OEMs have a net zero goal uh, by some year. Some are bullish in, say, 2035, some 2050. But the sheer fact is with existing cathode manufacturing techniques, you're 100% not going to get there. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> if you happen to be listening to this and you're a OEM, you know, EV OEM uh, board member, um, you know, you must know that you have to look at your supply chain and invest in alternative manufacturing methods that are more sustainable, um, that do not have water, that are the most energy efficient, et cetera, to get you uh, even to that path of having a net zero goal in sight. Oh, tell me this. Um, we've talked a lot about, we talked a lot about, um, uh, traditional uh, lithium ion batteries. And then there's some other types of batteries that are sort of, uh, that, that people are talking about and attempting to develop. And I would love your expert opinion on them. They're called solid state batteries. What's your take on those types of batteries and, and how should we be watching them as they develop? 
Well, I think that, um, so I'll just say this, everyone has an opinion about solid state batteries. And for my business in cathode, um, actually solid state batteries use more of the cathode that we'd be producing than less. So they're usually changing the anode material and changing the electrolyte. So for our business, it only grows exponentially with the increase of solid state. What you see in the market is um, definite interest in solid state techniques, you know, batteries, uh, mostly because of, well, some performance, but also safety uh, within the EV OEM marketplace. Uh, the projected timeline for large scale, I think, is, you know, in the next decade, you're probably not going to see them really dent the market too much, but you're starting to see some early stage stuff come on supply. And how is the solid state battery different than the traditional lithium ion batteries that we're familiar with? Yeah, the I mean the solid state the is sort of how it sounds like the intense so tr traditional lithium ion battery you have the cathode the sort of the positive sign the negative sign and the electrolyte the electrolyte is liquid so I'm sure you've seen those like videos if something gets punctured and then it you know and then you see flame and then it flames um and that's usually because of the liquid electrolyte solid state aims to try to make that a solid process uh with the like with the electrolyte. Um, so solid state electrolyte. So you're changing the anode material um, from like graphene to some type of silicon, you know, or, you know, there's different innovations there, uh, lithium metals, et cetera. Um, and usually there's also performance benefits. So you have um, higher energy density, you know, different um, levels of high performance capabilities. Um, so it is a safety and a performance benefit um, that they're aiming towards. Thank you. I, it's something I want to explore in another episode. So thank you for the uh, the 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 uh, advice there. Again, like the whole battery industry, if you just imagine, like it's gonna. I mean, it's growing. It's growing like this, right? So solid state. There's a world for them. It's further out, and it's gonna be some version of that um, of the market share. But for the you know in the you know, I don't want to say the next decade, decades, the, the probably the biggest problem that right now all EV OEMs and battery cell manufacturers have is access to the critical materials. So that's their biggest bottleneck. Not, it's not performance, really. Resources. It's always about the resources, isn't it? If we used a lot less energy, then maybe it wouldn't be, but we use a lot of it and we want things to be big, fast and cheap, right? Very challenging. Mm-hmm. Well, and uh, what about uh, battery recycling? I, uh, I've i read uh, uh, that, you know, with your cathode active material, that could potentially make recycling um, a, uh, a more advantageous prospect. What's your what's your take on battery recycling now? What, what do you watch? What are you seeing coming in the future? Yeah, battery recycling is going to evolve in Europe much faster than in the US. Um, every country continent you know is trying to secure their uh molecules of energy however they're trying to do that right recycling is a way to do that mining's a way to do that so um you're starting to see that that's going to be consistent around most regions of the world so it's definitely um what a, you know it's definitely a big part of the overall picture is to create a full life cycle that's well to wheel the methods right now that you sort of, you know, the industry has sort of two problems. One is that the volumes of scale, like even in America, we had one in America, in the US, we had one 
um, very large gigafactory. And, you know, in the next 10 years, we're going to have probably like 30, right? So the volumes of material that are going to be coming through. And if you imagine 10 years of life in those batteries, you know, you're going to start, it's about 10 years out until you're seeing huge volumes of material be recycled, right? So getting them in the pipeline is kind of a hard thing. You don't want batteries to expire early because that's not good for really any carbon story. <laughs> so you want the life cycle of that to extend as long as possible. But for the recycling story, it's a challenge. So that's one thing is that getting really a large amount of volumes into the supply is going to take some time. Uh, and then the other is doing it in a way that overall is carbon efficient, right? It doesn't make, I mean, it, it's important to have a fully closed loop with these materials that makes it very renewable um, and a very positive story and carbon story. But you need to uh, to, to actually extract out the these uh, the nickel, the lithium, and those components to recycle them. You need to have a process that doesn't require a huge amount of energy or you know toxic chemicals. So that's a different you know a different piece of the industry problem is how do you lower the carbon profile of recycling. And, you know, in our piece of the world, what we look at is how do we take material that comes off the recycle loops faster so they don't have to be synthesized, purified, and then add a sulfate molecule onto us, you have all the sulfuric acid waste. So that's where we, we use inputs from the recycle streams that are a lot, much less processed. Um, so it's overall uh, probably the best in class carbon story you can tell. Um, while upgrading that material to high performance material, right? So a very good economic story as well. It seems like you're you're hitting, it's like you're, I hate this phrase because everybody uses it, but like you're checking all the boxes, right? Lower cost, less water, less waste, better to recycle, higher quality product. Um, it's it's exciting to to imagine a world where we've, we've really thought um, uh, critically about the materials we're using as we ahead of the time so that when we do scale up the the EV revolution, we're not looking back. Generations aren't looking back at what we did and be like, oh, well, they really didn't really think about that at all, did they? They just kind of ran with it. Now we got to clean up their mess. That's my worst nightmare is having my kids in 20 years, you know, if it's in 10 years, be like, mom, what were you thinking? You know, and I think, you know, we have that in our generation you know, with our parents, <laughs> like what they, you know, what they did with plastics, right? It was new and it was super useful. And now everyone's like, oh my gosh, it is incredibly toxic and it can never leave this planet. And it's really impossible and costs so much to recycle. And, you know, the cost, the true cost of plastic is not at all incorporated into it, you know? And it is so... It's still for like a lot of petroleum based products, right? You still have that problem. So I think with batteries and this, uh, you know, there is a level of attention that is higher, much higher than there was on sort of our, what I call it, like our, our V1 of the energy infrastructure, right? Um, but there are areas that are really important and prevalent that need to be built out, right? And part of them, is specifically the manufacturing side of these materials because, you know, 
all of it, you know, if it uses a huge amount, if they're energy, you know, intensive and water intensive and create a lot of toxic chemicals, like there's no way that will add up, that math will add up in, in like decade, decades, you know, at all. We're just making more problems for ourselves. Completely, completely. But I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. Today in the marketplace, all anyone really cares about is volume and production and cost. Really, right? So you have the, you have the board members at these high level, you know, companies that are, have these longer visions, right? But the trickle down effect of what that looks like is it is a commodity, it's commoditized, right? How much can you produce at what price point? And so I, you know, I think that um, it's going to be really, really important that how the market grows is that we do make wise choices, but we can also reduce, I mean, we can reduce the costs and that's how the market adopts it, right? And increases market adoption. And it has all these ancillary effects. Well, I, I think I think you're onto something because with uh, my fiance Julian Adler, uh, who's you know he's an executive coach, he taught me this concept of like you're you're res- you're only responsible for the information and knowledge that you have at any one time, right? And often people are doing the best they can with the resources they have. So if we look at the like, the plastic analogy, people didn't know you know, 40 years ago that you shouldn't be microwaving plastic or like using, like they didn't realize what plastic was going to, how it was going to affect the future. But here in this conversation and what you, what you've done uh, with, with Silvatex is you've revealed like, here's some information. Now we know how we can do better. And we have this information now. So let's use it. Once you have the information collectively, I believe as society, we're responsible for it. The big, the big marching thing is there is a better way. There is a better way. There is a better way, right? So, you you know, the first step is, and I think we're past this point because around COVID and post, you know, so in 2021, 2022, it was like, is it going to take off? Okay, electrification has taken off. Energy storage has taken off. The numbers are looking great. I think most, you know, you see this every day. Renewables are gaining higher, higher traction of becoming the, the better cost approach long-term short-term etc right so all of that is happening in a very positive way um so i do think sort of the first version of you know we gotta do a better way like is happening and then the next version is building out the growth to support these supply chains has to be done thoughtfully right it can't just be uh, and you know we are in a different place um with chemicals and certain amount of waste you know disposal but energy and water is still so it's still pretty cheap um in the scheme of things that even though you reduce that the cost it doesn't get you know add in the cost as much and i mean if you're if you're able to address like you're you're talking about reducing the cost of cathodes and that's 60 percent of the cost of the battery it seems to me that um the the industry would be looking for that better way and would be would be interested in applying uh, new methods for reducing that cost. Here's a version of the world that I think almost everyone who's a politician or, um, uh, you know, a business person wants to see happen. That you have somebody in an area that is economically deprived um, that has usually those areas have worse emissions because there's more diesel being used. They're heavily trafficked, et cetera. So these people living in those areas, um, 
are low income and they get the worst pollution. So then they suffer medically and their life expansion, like all these elements. So imagine a world where, you know, like people in these types of communities are able to buy an electric vehicle that provided them jobs, uh, you know, that were more localized and they also, you know, around them, the other, their world was becoming electrified. So they don't have those emissions. And so they ultimately are able to be in this like very different life space. And the only way we can reach that population of people is if we're able to reduce the cost of vehicles, period. Earthlings, what I find fascinating about the Silvatex process is that the IP they've developed is really applicable to a variety of industries. And I can see why they've chosen the battery as a place for them to start, because it seems like there's so much ground to be made up, both from a sustainability perspective and a cost perspective. So keep your sensors pointed at Silvatex so we can watch how they lead us into a battery future that we can all be more proud of. In future episodes, we'll also look at solid state batteries and battery recycling to continue this series. Now, before we go, we get to restore our faith in humanity. Today's spotlight comes to us from Venezuela, where artist Oscar Olivares has completed what he said is one of the world's largest ecological murals made entirely out of bottle caps. This art is really cool and beautiful, and we'll put a link to it in our show notes so that you can see it. It's 385 square meters, and it's made out of 400,000 bottle caps. Local residents collected a million of them for the project, and they also helped him put it together. He said that he was able to educate residents on the importance of recycling through this project, And Olivares said that there's no real education or policies about living a sustainable lifestyle. So his projects help lead more people into wanting to recycle and to be a part of his work. Doesn't it feel better knowing that there's people out there in the world making it better? We hope you will all choose to do the same wherever you are on this beautiful blue-green space flower we call home.